Hey friend, it's Forrest, your favorite librarian. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. All right, let's get started. Welcome to episode four, Red Flags and New Lows. You know, this week's episode is inspired by a small batch of whiskey from Uncle Nearest, the 1884 batch. It's the smoothest whiskey in Tennessee and also black owned. And if you're curious about the history, definitely research and look it up. Again, tonight's episode is inspired by the adult beverage of Uncle Nearest, 1884, a small batch of whiskey, the smoothest whiskey in Tennessee, also black owned. You know, here we like to support, purchase, and invest in black and people of color organizations, institutions, and entrepreneurial beginnings. But tonight's episode is entitled Red Flags and New Lows. You know, this week I did want to focus on black masculinity and manhood, but I'm going to reserve that topic, or shall I say table it, for a collaboration as I want to um, have a collection of narratives to construct all portions of that conversation so my audience and the audience is able to have a wealth of information. But first, let's get started on this week's episode, Red Flags and New Lows. And before we get started on our main points, I want to share some titles that may assist you with some of your reading that I have utilized. And I want to do a better job with referencing throughout this week's podcast. So this week's books are Black Girl Call Home by Jasmine Manns. It's a collection of poems. The next is a fiction title, Sula by Toni Morrison. The third is a memoir, It's About Damn Time, by Arlen Hamilton with Rachel L. Nelson. The fourth is Honey Pie, Black Southern Women Who Love Women by E. Patrick Johnson. And last but not least, what I have uh, recently finished <laughs> would be Black Nerd Problems by William Evans and Omar Hallman. So these titles are just so wonderful and I'm going to get into how they can assist you. But first, let's share the most important portions of how red flags and new lows represent certain aspects and vital elements of reading. One, reading is self-care. Two, escapism three self-investment and four exploring interests and passions and let's get into these the first is reading is self-care you know last week we explored how reading is an act of self-discipline and how the simple act of reading literally illustrates how you are prioritizing your time and your needs and your wants to serve you and to support you through your explorations of your own interests, through exploring the narratives of those around you, communities that make up and articulate so many other narratives and voices, but also issues and struggles that also contribute to pop culture and current events. So I want to get beyond and also help you to see that beyond the genre of self-help, all genres are able to help you. For example, when I was reading Wide Sargasso Sea, this book helped me to understand not only intersectionality, but how toxic femininity is also real and a thing. 
You know, many of us, when we think about the transatlantic slave trade, we think about the traditional black mass, the black, white, masculine energy that truly are truly manipulated um, black bodies and how many personhoods were snubbed based upon individual interest and also economic progression of solely white communities, but that it wasn't just primarily white males that were slave owners, but it was white women that were also slave owners and that white women were also birthing white children that were contributing and a part of the slave trade. And so there was not only um, a, a family dynamic, but also a culture that I was able to examine through White Sargasso Sea. And when I was able to see how not only certain white women in that novel were able to truly understand in another woman, whether she be a person of color, her issues, but still avoid that, still overlook that quality of of humanism, of, of humanity, excuse me, in that individual is just overwhelming. And it's so telling. And when I look at other titles like um, Sassafras, Cypress, and Indigo by Shanghai, I see vulnerability and transparency and visibility. And I see, you know, not the same intersectionality, but I'm able to look at intersectionality in another way. But yet there's a spectrum of identities that are embraced and welcome. And even through the differences of issues or cultural customs or mannerisms or behaviors, individual even at that, you're able to see how they're celebrated through understanding that although you are different from me, I love you and I'm willing to be wrong and I'm also willing to be open and also willing to keep an open heart and mind to better our relationship and better my understanding of people similar to you that think like you, that look like you, and that represent so many other communities I am not aware of. So it's all about perspective. So different genres are able to provide you different perspectives. And, excuse me, there are other books that may also assist you, like Passing or Black Boy at a Time. Those titles that I mentioned in episode three, and if you want more insight on that, definitely check out um, favoritelibrarian.com or all my platforms where I share information about each episode. Um. So reading is also an act of self-care. And so when you're able to explore other perspectives with literature, for example, when you read Black Girl Call Home by Jasmine Manns, you're able to see how the distance and the distinction of home and how a millennial or even someone on the cusp of, of that generation is navigating the silent generation and the baby boomer generation and understanding sexuality and sensuality and and how to express that and own that as well as extensions of their femininity and womanhood. So when I was able to explore Jasmine Mann's identity and her quote unquote call to home, it was celebratory and refreshing it almost was as if hearing the stories of an older sister 
But yet I was able to take pieces and apply that to my life, live almost vicariously through her experiences, but not harm myself in ways that I have experienced those exactly, those exact experience, those exact emotions, those exact traumas, those exact issues. And so through this collection of poetry, I was able to help myself explore other opportunities and point of perspectives. And that's so uplifting and empowering. And, you know, that's also one thing about the art of fiction. You know, Toni Morrison is one of the greatest fiction writers and writers, I believe, uh, of our lifetime, of our human lifetime, of, of And many people may believe that's a big reach, but no, she's one of the great masters. And when we say masters, we're solely referencing those that have mastered a specific genre or an art uh, or a medium of art. When you look at, say, for instance, uh, Morrison or Langston Hughes or Hurston, these are masters of great African-American literature, American literature, but literature in general. But when we solely focus them on one one area of genre or literature, one area of literature, excuse me, and focus that solely to one genre, African-American literature, we snub their influence of all other communities. Toni Morrison's novel, Sula, which is one of my favorite novels from her outside of the bluest eye and love Sula represents a friendship, but also the dynamics of a relationship and how individuals contribute and also individually take something from the relationship and how even when you grow apart, your inner child that, benefited and that experienced certain portions of that relationship or didn't are affected and when you see that through this relationship of Sula and her friendship as well as Sula's identity and how spontaneous and chimerical and fanciful this character is and how articulate the details of their identity is just so mm, especially during that time of the roaring the wrong 20s to the uh, early 40s, you know, certain expressions of what many people perceive as radical womanhood were not easily accepted or or tolerated or palatable. So characters like Sula and the novel Sula itself truly help others to see an array of expressions that are available and also letting others know it's okay to express yourselves in other ways, whether it be ugly, beautiful, understood, defined, even. Because many of us are always looking for a word to pair or words to pair with what we feel, to define so that others are able to easily understand or understand us. And that's understandable. Wanting to be understood is a quality many of us carry. But it is also a weight that many of us need to understand. And also, if internalized, may eventually become a burden. So with that comes my next point, escapism. Yes, reading is an act of self-care. But reading is also a form of escapism. You see, for myself, I'm truly an introvert. I'm an animated introvert. So 
to the naked eye or to those that do not know me believe I'm extroverted. I'm very bubbly. And that's perceivable. It's plausible. But for myself, I recharge from being in a room and not engaging from others or simply functioning like I've mentioned in previous episodes of my podcast as bees in a hive. You know, we all have different tasks, responsibilities, and we're functioning and we're serving and we're supporting ourselves and others and also our communities, however we are attached to them. However we define those attachments, however we define those bonds, however we define that relationship, however we define that contribution, whether it be effortless or whether it be a struggle. And for myself as an introvert, reading allows me an opportunity to escape. So when I I am in these, these spaces where there are many people or where I'm truly alone, I'm able to have a similar experience as I'm able to find a home in these books that I read. For example, It's About Damn Time by Arlena Hamilton. This book is so refreshing because, you know, through her, through her entrepreneurial journey, through her homelessness, through her educational bouts and her investment in her own educational foundation and that cornerstone and what it looks like for her. You know, when many people believe in education, we believe or are accustomed to thinking about the traditional pursuit of education, higher education, graduating from a high school and immediately pursuing either a technical degree or trade or going to college and graduating with the minimum of at least a bachelor's degree. And that's understood depending upon the environment or the circles you frequent or that you have been saturated in or that have loved on you. And what I hope to encourage you to also to value is that your pursuit of your own educational refinement is a valuable education. And it in itself, through its own pursuit, is a true education. Though through, though with the usage and the tutelage of finding and articulating credible sources and utilizing specific research, whether it be strategic, whether it be academic, whether it be personal, whether it be for your understanding of your ancestral history with genealogical research or history, each pursuit of your refinement will help you. And what I have learned as a introvert is that neutral learning environments, neutral spaces, neutral public spaces like museums, libraries, other spaces that provide um, not necessarily a circulation of similar resources and information, but in general, neutral environments like coffee shops or um, certain small speakeasies where art collectives or art creatives are able to just uh, express themselves or be to create. These provide areas or space of healing, self-care, retreat, repair, and also provide a space for redirection. But through this privacy there's discovery and discretion and not a sense of loneliness as many people believe you know as an intro- as an introvert when i've utilized literature for example honey pot by e patrick johnson 
uh, Honeypot, which is a collection of narratives. Um, it pri- primarily highlights and celebrates black Southern women that love women and this specific culture of the South and how women in the South have navigated under a veil, almost a secrecy for protection and how there's been a culture that has been able to be, be preserved through that, not in a sense to preserve and to hide shame, but that the, the audience that is catered to is the is the performers on stage you know similar to what Shakespeare says you know life is but a stage and yet we are players to strut and fret upon the weary hour we as humans are in a a literal dress rehearsal we don't get a second chance to perform or to act and to be wholeheartedly and intentional with those that are around you and that you love is important. And when you're able to identify and define how you were charged, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, and whether you're an ambient, find out how you're able to heal, how you're able to invest in your self-care through non-monetary resources. And reading is one of them. You're able to retreat and repair and redirect your thinking, your life, perspectives, your choices. You're able to gain insight. You know, when I read Honeypot, I was able to see how older black women have not only paved the way for certain expressions and certain um, in certain spaces to simply be occupied by black girl queer excellence, but by black queer excellence. And through that space, identities and whether they're on the spectrum or even know where they are on the spectrum are able to have that space of discovery, mistakes, and just tutelage. And to utilize their imagination and to be a product, to be literally, to be literally, yes, a product of their imagination. And that is one of the greatest illustrations of individuality to be the product of your own imagination. And through literature, you're able to construct just how you want to shape and mold your life, your choices, and yourself. And, you know, as we previously mentioned, with reading is self-care, all genres can help you, not just the self-help genre, but any genre, whether it be fiction, a collection of poetry, whether it be chapbooks, whether it be uh, memoirs, whether it be satirical information, whether it be newspaper, hell, whether it be a damn magazine, Jet, Ebony, Essence, uh, XXL, whether you're reading um, nonfiction, something from Isabella Wilkerson or The New Yorker, whether you're reading something from Zorona Hurston or the publication fire that the Harlem Renaissance wrote. It's up to you. Mm. Excuse me. Oh, Lord, this thing a little strong. Okay, Uncle Nearest. Oh, Lord, let me, let me pull this thing up to me. Oh, Lord, it's hand selected by our founders, blended, curated by descendants of, of Nearest Green. An award-winning premium whiskey, and it's 93% of friends. If you're under the sound of my voice and you're hearing the description of Uncaneers, this is for adults, those that are uh, discreet, mature, and drink responsibly. Again, this podcast is 
uh, influenced by Uncle Nearest, 1884, the small batch of whiskey, the smoothest whiskey in Tennessee. Um, a little bit of history about um, Uncle Nearest. Um, the family actually are descendants and also the founders of this great company, but also those that inspired another well-known Tennessee uh, brand of brown uh, spirits. And through their um, genealogical history and exploration of their ancestors and their ancestral history, they're able to see that, hey, we actually have ownership and have contributed not only to black history, but American history. And although we're not... um, being served our justice as well as our ownership as well as how we have truly provided a recipe and shaped not only um, American distillery history but also whiskey we're going to create our own lane and since then um, I I can't lie I am so proud of the Okaneers brand so that's why I wanted to highlight them today and let you all know that this podcast is um um (laughs) in in influenced and inspired (laughs) by the small batch of whiskey (laughs) um but back to this week's podcast um you know reading is self-care but it's also a portion of escapism and as an introvert I've been able to experience that with certain titles and I mentioned that with you know it's about dim time by Arlen and Hamlet Arlena Hamilton uh but and also um, Honeypot, which is by E. Patrick Johnson. But one thing I also want to share is how reading is a, a great example of self-investment. You know, genres also equal your passions and strength. For example, I love poetry. I love a great novel, but sometimes I don't have the time to commit to reading a novel all the time. So to maintain my reading fluency to read one book a week and a comic on the weekend I'll pick up a collection of narratives or short stories so Honey Pot by E. Patrick Johnson is perfect for me because it's about 240 to 70 pages um excluding um the copyright flyleaf and all that other good jazz it's about 150 155 so I can finish that in a week and I feel good about you know maintaining the integrity and upon the integrity of my reading fluency but yet other things like um Black Girl Call Home by Jasmine Mann which is a greater uh collection of work not in significance but in size uh, because they're all so great um but this collection of poetry is a little bit bigger so I wouldn't dedicate or commit my time to this or my weeks or my week of time to reading Jasmine Man unless I knew that I had uh, the space to commit simply because that allows me to illustrate my strengths how I'm able to perceive and also measure my time and manage my time so with my reading I'm able to and, and also through that discipline I'm able to measure and able to see progress with my time management my lack of procrastination how I'm going to apply what I'm reading afterwards whether it be journaling whether it be uh, communicating with others through discussion or whether it be simply just um, jotting down what I feel about something and sharing my book review on my platform you know it's however I choose to express that and so again reading equals passions and and strengths and so when we see you know 
different genres and when you see different um, issues like for example if you're not a strong reader and many of us hear that term a lot especially throughout our childhood or in classrooms or we've been referred to that the three word trauma not strong reader and let me just tell you that term is not real I don't believe that's a true thing I don't believe strong readers is a real thing like the whole ideology of good hair. I don't believe good hair is a thing. I believe that's a projection. Similar to being a quote unquote strong reader is a projection. Having good hair is based upon, is a subjective. It's based upon the quality of hair and how you truly master your texture and also support it so that way you're not splitting or breaking or are prone to breakage and even if you have certain um things that you navigate like alopecia or whether your hair um is thin or low density that doesn't mean your hair isn't what many people define as good it just means that you have other avenues or other ways that you have to apply attention or ways you have to truly prioritize yourself to have the quality of hair that best serves you. And that's something that I want to also apply that same method, that same ideology to reading. There's no such thing as a strong reader. And so there's no such thing as not being a strong reader. I know that sounds kind of what? So yes. So if you know that similar to myself, you're not able to commit time or you are able to truly have um, the skills to, let me rephrase that. If you do, if you have yet to master specific reading skills that allow you to have a reading fluency where you can comprehend or digest specific genres, like a long novel or a novel in general, I encourage you to utilize other genres like comic books or art books and photography or comics or novellas, or a collection of short stories, or a collection of narratives like Honeypot by E. Patrick Johnson, or a collection of poems by uh, Jasmine Mann, like her Black Girl Call Home, or a smaller novel like The Bluest Eye, or Sula by Toni Morrison. These smaller works, but still great in significance, will still provide you a wealth of insight, array of perspectives, and will illustrate and articulate so many other uh, contributions and expressions that provide and just beautifully, beautifully display the black experience that you still are able to refine your reading fluency, invest in yourself, which is what I want to highlight to you. You know, the title of this week's episode is Red Flags and New Lows. Many of us believe that we are not because of what we've been conditioned, heard, or are saturated in, believe that we are not strong readers compared to other people's, um, that's Uncle Nearest, mind your business, <laughs> compared to other people's quality or their expectations of reading or what we have been traditionally, um, what we have traditionally been expected to satisfy based upon public education standards or through what um, traditional testing has defined as being proficient. And what I want to encourage you is that as an adult 
or later in your life or someone that is able to utilize their independence and leverage that to have certain progression in their life is that when you invest in yourself, you're able to invest in not only your reading, but your communication and all the qualities that contribute and illustrate each. Whether it be a novel that's a longer work or something shorter that's a, a collection or a book of poetry or a novella or a book of short stories or a book of narrative, something like Honeypot or even visual stimulations like children's books. Let me just say this, believe it or not, and let me get a sip of this before I get deep, deep, deep into this because many of y'all are not going to believe me. Ooh. <laughs> Damn, Uncle Nearest. That thing almost took me out. Oh, Lord. This podcast is going to be a little crazy this time. But you still love me. (laughs) Okay. Believe it or not, if you do not like reading long, great works, or say you just don't have the time to invest in reading that week or that day, Read a children's book, whether it be a children's picture book or children's large font or large print chapter book. Children's, whether it be teen fiction, teen nonfiction, they're generally less than about 200 pages, at most 250. But keep in mind, these are large print and the vocabulary and the reading comprehension level is nothing beyond generally a 10th grade level, if not Uh, Mostly it's about ninth grade, simply because those that are digesting that information, if it is specifically beyond that uh, reading level, is for a specific reading uh, bracket or age or demographic. So when you read certain things um, like uh, You Don't Know Us Negroes by Other Stories, this is for an adult audience. Or when you read The Matter of Black Lives, um, which is... Uh, writings from the New Yorker this is for an adult audience but say you were to read a children's adaptation of Langston Hughes of course it will be paired with an illustration or something colorful because it's geared to a younger audience audience or if you were to read something um, along the lines um, say mm, Zora um, which is a children's adaptation of the life and times of Zorin and Herson. Of course, this small novel is only, what, 120 pages? But it's geared to a smaller audience. But I love that title and would suggest that to anyone. Children's books, whether it be children's picture or of a small chapter book, I believe are perfect for also adults because it provides you a similar experience but expedites that process but allows you to utilize those same reading skills and master them. And you aren't going to burn out as easily as you would if you were to try to digest a novel or a book of poetry if it's your first time doing it on your own and if you're reading larger works or if you are beginning to read larger works like a novel or a book of poetry a novella or something of that size or similar genre I encourage you to look for its uh, audiobooks or before even selecting a book see if it has an audiobook to help assist you for the for when you don't feel encouraged to read or when you aren't as confident to read certain areas of the book without some assistance 
And through that friend, that investment, you are able to strengthen your, excuse me, you're able to, um, master certain strengths, but you're able to examine certain weaknesses and also refine them. So we're almost at the end of this week's podcast, but what I want to encourage you is most importantly, which I've mentioned before in episode three of reading is self-discipline, but here in episode four, red flags and new lows, the last uh, main point of this week's podcast is exploring and exploring interest and exploring passions. And through reading, you're able to do that simply because currency is currency or excuse me. Ooh, damn, 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 damn. Oh Lord. This uncle nearest is getting to me, Lord. I'm saying the same thing. It's not making sense. I meant to say, as you explore your interests and passions, circulation is currency in a library or in neutral learning environments that circulate information or resources. And let me explain that. When you circulate information or resources, you sur- you illustrate or you also articulate need, want, or a demand. And when you circulate information, others have access or a point of access to resources that will benefit them, assist them, or that will benefit or assist others that they come across, assist, or know that need them. So when you explore your interest or your passions in these neutral learning environments like a museum or a library, you're able through a veil and through the certain uh, truly rights of privacy and no one knows outside the professionals that you engage with um, what you're exploring and you you have that privacy of of discovery and you're afforded that not only in your homes in your home or in any area that you perceive as your home whether it be your family members or in the homes of uh, the home or the arms of others however you define home baby (laughs) Because, you know, that's a whole nother podcast and conversation. But you're able to feed, you're able to recharge, you're able to invest, you're able to care for self. And that's the portion of, and that's the portion, and that's the highlight, and that's the true priority of this week's podcast, is that although reading can illustrate red flags and how you have been accustomed or how you have accepted certain thinkings or ideologies but how it can illustrate specific areas of care or specific areas of need where you need to invest and also it provides a space for you to explore for you to discover and for you to invest in your passions and examine as I've mentioned week after week after week your interest your weaknesses and your strengths and so as you browse, ask, request, hold space, not just for yourself, but for others. You know, when we hold space for others, when we demand, when we expect from others, do we do that for ourselves? Do we demand certain things from ourselves? Do we ask ourselves certain things? Do we require, do we request, do we hold certain spaces for ourselves? We know what it looks like for others, but for ourselves, again, what does that look like? And reading provides you an opportunity to define that for yourself based upon other people's opportunities, experience, and choices. And so when you have that collection of information and narratives and choices and perspectives, you arrive to the best the best conclusion however you construct that for you and however you define that is for you 
but I want you to make the most and the best and informed decisions. You can make informed decisions, but I believe it's through a wealth of information. For example, Black Nerd Problems by William Evans and Omar Hallman. This title is a long time coming. I'm not going to lie. I'm very glad it was written, but I also hope that this becomes a series and that they involve possibly a third um, editor and it's also a woman or someone that is among the queer spectrum. Simple because this, when we explore uh, the black experience, many people believe it to be certain specific categories the black middle class, the black bourgeoisie, living below poverty, living in the ghetto, living in certain regions that illustrate certain cultural norms, whether you be in the north, the south, the east coast, west coast, midwest, whether you live uh, in Washington. When you say what state you're from, many people already have an idea of your blackness or your journey to personhood and how you illustrate your pursuit of education or lack thereof or your investment in self and lack thereof helps them to, in some ways, what many people define as judge, and that's what I think, judge you. And when we provide this space to be vulnerable, yes, you're also, you provide a space to be judged, but understand that this vulnerability is sometimes misunderstood from others because they've never had this experience of someone being so vulnerable without not wanting something in exchange. Many people have had experiences that are transactional, that when they are afforded opportunities where they can be vulnerable and someone else also in the equation can be too and not have to have a transactional experience, it's unsettling, it's overwhelming, it's unrealistic, it's surreal. And so what I encourage you through your reading is that when you hold space for yourself, when you ask for things for yourself, when you request things for yourself, when you browse and when you explore your interests and your passions for yourself, do this for yourself so you know what it feels like. So you can also provide a similar experience or also direct others so to spaces where they can too. You know, the act of freedom. In the great words of Toni Morrison, the act of freedom is not only to free yourself, but others. But you cannot give what you do not have. And if you yourself are not free or liberated, have released certain attachments, have navigated certain traumas, or are healing, or are caring for self, or are helping self in certain ways, you cannot give that to someone else. Or yet you are over-promising. Let me say that again for the saints in the back. If you are giving something you do not have, quite frankly, my friend, you are overpromising because you won't be able to give that effortlessly or consistently without it affecting you. And you cannot give what you do not have. So I, I encourage you to hold a space, request, ask, browse, invest, explore discover for yourself care and love for yourself first before you do for anyone else because in the great words of RuPaul baby if you can't love yourself how in the hell you gonna love anybody else can I get amen
Mm-mm. Ooh, this Uncle Nearest. All right, now, if you're listening to this podcast, know I love you and know I care for you. And let me repeat this week's books again. You know, this week I read and want to encourage you to read Black Girl Call Home by Jasmine Manns, a collection of poetry. Sula by Toni Morrison. It's About Damn Time by Arlen Hamilton with Rachel L. Nelson. Honey Pot, Black Southern Women Who Love Women by E. Patrick Johnson and Black Nerd Problems by William Evans and Omar Hallman. You know, it's been beautiful. It's been great. I hope that you begin to care for self, but also understand that reading is an area to escape, to invest in self, to explore interests and passions, but also to explore you in all avenues and extensions. You are beautiful and you are wonderfully made, friend. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Until next time, keep reading, friend. You are not alone. As always, this has been wonderful and fun. Remember, friend, you are not alone. There is something for you. Continue to read. And if you need more black or queer literature, check out my website, favoritelibrarian.com, or my Instagram, favoritelibrarian. Until next time, continue reading and prioritize your self-love. (laughs) 